sermon text today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It's page 151, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the, the chairs in front of you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and the day that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thanks, Jason, for reading that for us. Let me encourage you to have a copy of uh, Texas Scripture there to that uh, same passage in uh, Deuteronomy. We're continuing our uh, sermon series on recovering relationships. And uh, we've talked about friendship. We've talked about marriage. Um, today, we're talking about parenting a little bit here. It's been a good service so far, hasn't it? Seeing people follow Christ in the wars of baptism, it's just a wonderful thing. And if, if anyone's an inventor, come up with a way to get, wet, get socks on wet feet better, you know, that's pretty tough afterwards. Deuteronomy chapter 6, parenting is not for the faint of heart, Right? For those of you parents, you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, sometimes uh, you find yourself in situations that you didn't know that you'd be in. Um, my daughter, Mia, our daughter, when she was really little, would spontaneously come up behind you and sit on your neck while you were sitting there doing something. And she didn't do it just to her mom. Um, she did it to me as well. Reading the kids a story, and uh, next thing you know, Mia is like sitting on me a little bit there, and um, maybe that's why I have neck problems and back problems. <laughs> you find yourself in situations you never thought you'd been. You find yourself saying things that you never thought you'd have to say. No, please don't eat dirt. One, please stop licking the ground. Don't sit on your sibling's head. You're not supposed to eat earwax, you know, those types of things. You know, not that we ever had to say that to any of our kids, the last one. But, uh, you know, parenting is one of those things that it's just, 
Um, it, 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 it puts you in situations that you never thought you'd be in. You say things you never thought you'd have to say. But on a more serious note, it reveals depths of selfishness that you did not know were in your soul as well. And so, you know, we need thoughtful and intentional approach to parenting here. Now, here's the thing is uh, last Sunday about marriage, I felt inadequate to talk about marriage. You know, uh, my, my wife and I, we've been married 21 years, and so that, that's, that, that's a good track record, right? You know, it's good. But, you know, I was thinking of people like Bob and LeVon, who are, you know, 59 years of marriage. Um, you know, that's, we, we got a long way to go before that. But even this week, I feel even more so. Our, our oldest is 12, and so our parenting methods have not been fully tested yet. Okay, and so, no, seriously. And honestly, if you think about it, parenting methods aren't fully tested until grandchildren come onto the scene. If you think about it, are they reproducing the values that you've tried to produce in them? And so this sermon today is not going to be a sermon about parental methods. Okay, that's not what this is going to be about. Rather, what I hope to do today is share a few quick principles that we can derive parenting choices out of, okay? Um, parents are different. Uh, families are different. Family dynamics are different. I, I get that. Um, and so this is not going to be a sermon of, yes, here's, here's you, you must do this, you must not do that. It's rather going to be, and there's a place for that, but that's not this morning. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to get some principles on which we should base your parenting choices. On the onset, let me just give you a few books recommendations that have been helpful to me as a parent. Um, uh, we have a Parenting by Paul Tripp, uh, which is a really good book. He has 14 principles that he goes over in that book. It's a helpful book. Gospel Power Parenting by uh, Farley is also helpful. And an older book, yet there's still some really good value to it. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. You say, wait a minute, Trip, Paul Trip, Ted Trip, yes, they're brothers. So, um, but they, they've written a lot on the family and things like that. So those would be three books that if you're saying, hey, do you have resources on, on parenting? Those would be some of the, the top ones that I would think through right away. So let's dive into three principles on which we can derive our, our parenting. But let me pray and ask God's blessing. Father, thank you that we can spend some time together this morning. Thank you that we've seen people follow you in the waters of baptism and in identifying with you in such a way. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that we have the opportunity to, to gather as a church family and to uh, sing praises. And we've sung some wonderful songs. We've heard the scriptures read. And in a few minutes, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. But right now, as we, um, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we pray that it would be it would be helpful to us. Lord, it's a tremendous honor for me to stand in front of people and proclaim the word of God. But Lord, I, I ask that I would do so faithfully. I ask that I would do so that would be accurate to the text. Um, and that it would be relevant and helpful to those who are listening. And so, Lord, at the end of the day, we want you to receive all glory and honor and praise because you are worthy of that. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Three principles. First of all, principle number one, what we believe to be true about God matters. Here we have in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have a kind of really a playbook that's being given to the children of Israel as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. 
Um, and so what we have is we have Moses. We have Moses in a conversation with God saying, as the people are going to go into the promised land, that's going to happen in the next book of the Bible. As, that, as that's happening, here are some things that this new generation of people, they need to know. And they need to know because then as they begin their new life in this promised land, how are they going to organize and how are they going to live their lives? This is one of the kind of the overarching purposes of the book of Deuteronomy. The word actually means second giving of the law because... Uh, we're going to get a, another example of all the laws that are going to be given that was given in Exodus is going to be given again here in Deuteronomy because we have a, we have a new generation. Remember, there's a generation of Israel that wandered in the wilderness, and so now we have a new generation that this is what's happened here. So these, these are crucial texts here that we have before us. In chapter 6 here, he, he gives this, this very famous text. In fact, um, when we get down to verse 4, here, Israel, the Lord our God is uh, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. This is a very important text in the Jewish mind, and in, in Jesus' day, and even to this day, they refer to this as the Shema, which is uh, the word for hear. And it really talks about the, the monotheistic nature of their understanding of God, that, that, that God is one here. And so here he's saying, as you're getting ready to go into the promised land, and these are all the things, and, and he's already given the law again in chapter 5, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and he says, these are the things that you're going to have to have. These are the things that are going to guide society, particularly in the promised land. He says, hear this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus mentions this text. Uh, in fact, the very next part of this, is when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, Jesus mentions this in Matthew 22. Do you remember that text? Do you remember when uh, the, the experts in the law um, came to try to trap Jesus? And they said, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? He says, this one right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the section here that is absolutely crucial for everyone to understand as they're getting ready to go on the promised land. And he says, if you want this, you need to know this. If you want to follow God, you need to know this. And so as we're going to try to make some principles, okay, as, and he's going to talk about the next generation here, where does he start though? He starts theologically. He starts on a theological basis. Before we get into any other types of methodology or any types of content or anything at all that, that needs to be shared, he starts in a theological position where he says, the Lord is one. Now, what does that mean there? It's, it's, we've already alluded to the fact that it talks about uh, the monotheism or there's one God, not polytheism or many gods. There's, that's one uh, uh, hue, if you will, to that uh, word. And so, uh, but there's more than that. But this one here is that, yes, that God is one. There is only one God. And so what this does is it rules out polytheism. It rules out that there can only, or, or, or it enforces, I should say, that there is only to be one God in our lives. And if we're going to have any type of influence in our children, they need to see this. They need to see that there is one God in our lives. And so what this does, this means that um, one can either be right or wrong about God, okay? There, there's no, well, quote, you have your God and I have mine. The important thing is that we all have faith in something and love each other. Uh, that sometimes that you'll hear that type of philosophy. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, there is no room for that. The Lord is one. God is one. And so the question then comes is, okay, who is God in our life? 
right? Uh, there's another way to understand this word here is not just that he's only one, but also the idea is that he's one in nature or that he's unique. That he, there's, there's, only, only, o- there's only one like God. Uh, he's unique above all else. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to describe God sometimes? I mean, you can start using some words, and, and I'm going to use some here in a minute, and, and it's helpful, but if someone were to say, okay, tell me about God, tell me, tell me what you know to be true of him, tell me, and you can start giving characteristics, but in some ways, often, it's kind of hard to describe God, and the reason why is because we typically describe things through comparison, okay? We describe, well, it's kind of like this, or, you know, what does that taste like? Well, it tastes like chicken, okay, like everything does, okay? You know, so what, what is it? And we compare, well, who can we compare God to? I mean, what can we compare God to? Absolutely nothing. And so God is absolutely unique. And, and the more that you have that reality burning in your soul, the more we will impact our children in the next generation, God is good. Is that reality burning in your soul? Do you live that out? Do you live in light of that every day? That he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's kind, he's loving. He judges sin. He's just. He's wise. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. All these things are a way that we can describe God, but those are the things that make him unique, but those are the things that have to be in the forefront of our minds. And so here in the beginning here, uh, when, when, uh, when they're getting ready to go into this promised land, this is what Moses is saying, and, and God is saying, he says, hear this, the Lord is one, God is one. So the application is fairly obvious at this point. Are there other gods in your life? If there are, our kids will see it. Our kids will see what is most important to us. Everyone has um, a God spot in our life, right? It's that place in our hearts and minds where we put what is most important to us and that which actually controls most of our thoughts and our actions. What is it that is most important to you? You see, here, if we're going to be good parents at all, for those of you who are parents in the room, if we're going to influence the next generation, which should be all of us here, We have to say God is one. He's one in his proper place. He is one that there's no one else like him and that he is one in our lives and that there is no other God before him. You you study throughout all of the Old Testament particularly many times over and over again, what was the thing that caused God the greatest or or brought the most uh, ire out of him or the judgment out of him? I'm reading in Jeremiah right now in my devotions and and, and you just see what was it. It was they're going after other gods or that they they were having other gods. I just read this morning in Jeremiah, where, where um, you saw that, where he talks about he, the people that are standing in the temple. God says to Jeremiah, he says, stand in the gate of the temple and, and, and tell them, listen, you can't come into here and say, you know, the temple, the temple, the wonderful temple. You can't come in there and say that when you've been all week long, you've been serving other gods and, and you've been making sacrifices to them. He says, this is an abomination. And then he goes on, he says, so the sacrifices you're giving me today, he says, I don't receive them. Those are some very serious things. What have we done all week long is the God spot in our life? What have we done all week long where what is most important in our life and that, that God, that, 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 that positioned in our life of what is, is most influential in us and that we revere as most important. And then we come to church and we say, what? Oh, God is good. Well, but what have we done all week? Now, again, 
Now again, now again, we need to come here and it's time for us to maybe repent and say, okay, I'm sorry and everything. We, of course we need to do this. I'm not telling you not to come to church. You know, some people will say, well, until I get my life straightened out, then I'll come to church. Well, no, then they're missing the point there too. You come to the table, you come and you worship, you repent, and God, God receives. Of course he forgives. But the point is this, if we're going to have an influence on our children and on the next generation, hear that God has won. He's got to be first place. What is most important to us matters, right? So principle number one, uh, what we believe to be true about God matters. Absolutely crucial, okay? From that, we can take some parental um, uh, you know, methodology, right? Okay, principle number two. Principle number two. Theology, though, without love misses the point. Okay, did you notice? So he goes to theology here. He says, hear, O Israel, in verse 4. He says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's good theology. And then verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all, and with all your soul, and with all your might. He says, in these words that I command you today, and it shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. So we've moved from theology then to heart. We move from head knowledge to heart into what we're actually believing. So we go from head to heart here and we say, okay, you know, we actually have to live this out. So Because it is possible to have a lot of Bible knowledge in our hearts and in our minds, but not love God. It's possible. It's possible for us to know all the uh, ins and outs of theological positions and all this stuff, but yet have no love for God can't do that. If we're going to be good parents, if we're going to influence the next generation, it has to come from this idea of a loving God. Not just that we have right theology, although that is crucial. That is important. We have to have that. But then we have to love God. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Remember the first part of this, 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, we can have a lot of actions and we can have a lot of theology, and those are all really important, but unless we're loving God... We're not going to influence the next generation. You know, that's one of the things is that our, our children have a way of being able to pick out what is truly most important to us. And I don't always do a good job of showing what is, should be most important. There are plenty of times where I have to apologize to my kids. There's plenty of times I have to say, okay, there's, too much, there's a wrong emphasis here. You know, I'm allowing this to control me too much. Or I'm, I'm, I, my, my fuse has been way too short lately, and that's because I want what I want, and I want to be in control, and I am very sorry. You see, but where that comes from is it has to come from a desire to love God with all of our heart, soul, and our might. A couple of things to think about with this is, first of all, is, you know, what we can take from this is that this is a command here. You shall love the Lord your God. So commands, I mean, love, excuse me, can be commanded, all right? Love is not just a feeling you either have or you don't have. I mean, the, Bible, the way the Bible talks about love is that it's something that we can actually do as an act of the will. It's not only a matter of affections or emotions. 
And so when it says you shall do this, this is something that, that we need to be cultivating in our lives. And so when it says heart, soul, and might, um, there's been a lot of ink spilt on what all those different categories are. And, and you know, I've read several, a lot of the literature on that. And honestly, what I come to the conclusion is my personal opinion is that really this is just speaking to the totality of a person and really the purpose in life. I think we can make some artificial uh, uh, distinguishing things of what's going on here. I think really what's being communicated here is says there's not a single part of man or our hearts or lives that are left out of here. When we love God, we love him with everything. We love him with our actions. We love him with our minds. We love him with our thoughts. We love him with everything here. Now notice this. We haven't gotten to teaching anyone else yet. That's going to come next. We haven't gotten there yet. That's important. And the reason why that's important is because loving God must precede teaching other people. Okay? The, the, the order is important here. And when we read through these texts of Scripture and we just kind of read through it without thinking about it, but it's really important here. How do I know this? Remember Psalm 51. Okay, Psalm 51 was a psalm that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. Remember this? Remember he wrote that psalm? And so this was his psalm of repentance where he's repenting to, to, to God. What does he say in that? He talks about repenting to God. He talks about being forgiven of God. But then he says this. He says, he says, after he, you know, he's pleading to God to restore him, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, renew a right spirit within me. And what does he say then? Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. He says, it's not until my, my, well, I'm right with you that I can teach anyone else. It's not until that I have this love for you and this relationship with you established and that it's going. And of course, not perfect. I mean, Psalm 51 is a great example of that. He needed to repent. But then he says, then I will teach transgressors that way. So I wonder how that affects our parenting. You know, we need to teach our children, but where does it come from? It comes first through, uh, it's got to flow out of a right theology, but then love for God. We, we don't, if we try to teach our kids without a love for God, we can teach them some pretty cool life and, and, and important life lessons. Sure we can. But are we going to teach them what is most important in their life? Are they going to catch that? what is most important in their lives. They may grow up knowing how to hit a ball. They may grow up knowing uh, how to balance a checkbook. They may know, uh, grow up knowing how to take care of a car. They may know all these different things in life that you're able to, to, to teach them. But are they going to know what it means to have a meaningful relationship with God? That is crucial. That is most important. And that is really what our job as parents, as Christian parents, is all about. Loving God must precede teaching others. His love is important. Love is foundational. I, I've told my kids from the time they were born that, listen, there are going to be times where you disappoint me. I remember holding Mia when she was first born and uh, holding her and I was feeding her at night. And, and she was, I mean, we're talking like a month, not even weeks old probably at this point. And uh, I'm holding her, and the, you, you, for those of you who have children, you know what I'm talking about, that, that immense love that you have uh, for this child, and, and then you're, you're thinking about that. And then I, I just remember thinking how, how I, all the dreams and hopes I would have for her. And then I remember this, thinking, this girl is going to crush me at some point. This girl is going to hurt me because I love her so much. I know the more you love something, the more opportunity you're giving that person to hurt you. Vulnerability. I just remember that, that, that thought of this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Be prepared for that. 
I remember just telling her her story and how we got her, and she was, again, weeks old. She couldn't understand a single thing, and, and I would just go over to the story with her and tell her about her adoption, and so I did the same thing with Isaiah. But then I would say this to them. I would say, listen, you're going to do things that are going to hurt me. You're going to do things where I'm going to be disappointed in. But I need you to know this. No matter what you do, you can never do anything to make me love you any less. Okay? And the reason why I want that foundation is because if my kids do make really bad decisions, I want them to know that they have a safe spot in talking with the nook and me. Okay? Now, where did I get that from? Is this just this wise parenting that Jeremy just like, you know, went up onto the mountain and he's like, you know, teach me this wisdom of parenting. And the guy with the beard says, here, tell them this. Where did I get that from? You know where I got that from? God. That's how God treats me. He says, you know, I I love you, Jeremy, and, and you can sin against me. And there will be times of disappointment and there will be consequences, right? but I'll never love you any less. That's what motivates me to parent children and my children. And that's what motivates me to pastor. That's what motivates me to live is because I know that no matter what, God, and there might be consequences for my actions. Again, I'm not saying this gives us a blank check and we just do whatever we want and then how we live doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there might be consequences for the actions. There might be things. So if, if I did something wrong, like let's say, you know, I go and I rob a bank, you know, I can ask the church for forgiveness, but I'm not the pastor any longer, okay? And for good reason, okay? But does God love me any less? No, he doesn't. So again, I'm not negating consequences. I'm just saying my standing with God because of what Christ did. You see, these are the things that, that motivates us to love when we, when we get this attention or we give attention to this reality of the gospel. This is what we want to communicate first and foremost to our children here. So principle number one is that what we believe about God matters. Principle number two, then, is theology without love, though, misses the point. It has to flow from a love for God. And so love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So the question, then, is, you know, very similar to the first point, is what are you, what are you loving the most? If our, if our kids were to put on a paper, if we were to survey our kids and say, what is it that your parents, we ask them a question, what do they love the most? What would they talk about? Okay. What gives them most attention? What, 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 uh, what competes for their emotions? It, it, you know, what makes us most happy in life? What makes us most sad in life? What, gives us, what makes us angry in life? All these things have a way of pointing out what is truly at the heart of our affections. And if we're going to be godly parents... It has to be God there. And again, there's going to be times where that is very crystal clear, and there's going to be times where we just got to work on that. I don't know where you're at today. Um, I have no idea. That's between you and God. But I would consider this. This has been, as, as I've been going through and preparing for this sermon, this has been helpful to me to think through, okay, what is most important in my life? Because good things can, can, can crowd that out. You know, serving God, the church, all those type of things, those are good things. But if they start crowding out even God in my life, that's a problem, okay? So first two principles are down. We've got one final one uh, as we work through this. Principle number three is this. Parenting is a noble calling to take seriously, okay? It's a noble calling to take seriously. Where do I get this from? It says, okay, uh, you shall love the Lord's God with your heart, soul, and mind, or might, rather, excuse me, verse 6, 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, okay, most important. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as front between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates here. Um, the lessons that we teach most effectively are the ones that are on our heart, verse 6, okay? These are on your heart. So the things that we're going to teach most effectively are the things that are on our heart or, or translated what is most meaningful to us or what is most important to us. So the question we got to ask is what is most important to, tr to, to pass on to the next generation, like if you were to make a list and you were to say, okay, it's got to be these, you know, by the time my kid leaves the house, I want them to know these 10 things. What's on those 10 things? What, are on, what, what comprises that list? Those are things to think through or, or, or five things or whatever it is. But what is it is most important to us? Parenting is a noble calling that we have to take seriously because these things should be in our hearts that we are commanded to teach on to our children. Here's another way to say this. Our greatest passion is highly contagious. Our greatest passion in life is highly contagious. I mean, if you, you get people with hobbies and things like that, the things that they like, and they start talking about it. And I have that. I have those things that I like. And you start talking about our favorite sports team or something like that. All of a sudden, you can start coming out with all the reasons why your team is the best, or then you can lament why your team is the worst, or however you want to go about doing it. But the point is, you're quick to talk about it, or you're quick to talk about your hobbies or what is most important to you. Why? Because what we're most passionate about is actually contagious, and, and we want to share it with other people. There's nothing wrong with talking about those other things. But when it comes to our children, when it comes to ministering to the next generation, our grandchildren, what is it that is our passion that is going to be most contagious to these next generation of our families? You see, it's a noble calling, but one that we have to take absolutely seriously. We're called to teach our children diligently. Did you notice that word? Teach them diligently to your children. This involves talking. Lots and lots of talking. If we're going to teach kids, or teach our children, we have to have conversations with them. That means put the phone down. That means we have dinners together as much as possible. That means we carve out space to be together. You know, go out on dates with your kids. You know, whatever it is, but it involves talking. Lots and lots of talking. The more you do it and the earlier you start, the better and the easier it is, we have to teach our kids diligently. It takes repetition. It's something we have to do over and over and over again. This is kind of what's getting on here when he talks about, you know, binding these things in the frontlets uh, of your head and then on the doorpost and things like this. These are things that you will see uh, even today with Hasidic Jews. You'll see uh, phylacteries. These are like little boxes that they have little scrolls that they'll put uh, literally on their foreheads and they'll tie it around. And it's coming from this text here. Or you'll see sometimes like a little piece of wood uh, that's uh, screwed to the doorpost, uh, and then as they walk in or out of the door, they touch it. Um, inside that, and I have one from my trip to Israel uh, several years ago, uh, there's a scroll. There's, there's, a, there's a little scroll of the scriptures in there. Uh, this right here is usually, it's this, the Shema that's in there, and then they would touch it. Why would they do this? What would they do this? Well, it was this idea of that God is always on our mind. Now, I don't think we actually have to physically do those type of things, but the, the, the point is true, is that why do they put it here? It's because 
God must always be on our mind, okay? Always on our mind. Why is it on a doorpost? Because God guides our paths and our homes. That's what was being communicated there. It was very intentional about, okay, what we believe to be true about God matters and that we need to love God. And then out of a love for God, out of right theology, out of a love for God, what are we going to do? We're going to pass that on to the next generation and we're going to do it with lots of talking, with lots of repetition, and it's going to be infused into all of life. So in all of our minds, always thinking, always thinking about God, always thinking about who he is, always thinking about why it matters that our kids should follow him. In fact, what is it, how are we following God in, in modeling that for our children in all of our paths, in all of our homes on the doorpost there? I really love what Tripp said in his book, Parenting. He said this, he says, you know, parenting is not first about what we want for our children, or from our children, but about what God in grace has planned to do through us in our children. You know, a lot of times we, we approach parenting with what can we do for them, or even sometimes we're, we're leaning on our children to give us something uh, from them. Maybe it's affirmation, maybe it's acceptance, maybe it's uh, that they're going to be more successful in a life or sport or whatever than what you were, and so you want that for them, but also from them. He says, parenting is not so much about that. It's rather what God in his grace is going to do through us in them. What is that doing? That's putting us just as a vessel of God's grace in these children's lives, in uh, the next generation's lives of, of how we're, how we're going to see God work in their lives, and we're just uh, vessels for that. The idea here, when, when you look at it, there's kind of like a word picture that's behind verse 7 here, talking about teaching them diligently. It's just like this perseverance, this endurance. It's almost like an illustration that I read, uh, you know, that would have been a word picture in Hebrew here, was that it, it, it's, it's like a, a sculpture, a sculptor taking a piece of granite and just chipping away at the stone. And sometimes you see, I thought about putting up like a picture of Mount Rushmore or something like that, but I decided not to. But, but the point is, is that, you know, what do you do? I mean, you, you're just chipping away at that. And you, you see a big statue or big, you know, monument like that, and you can just see how wonderful it is. But if you get up close to those things, you can see the individual marks in them. And, and in their case, you know, where they use dynamite and things like that. You know, this is where the illustration breaks down. Children and dynamite don't mix. And so that's where the illustration breaks down. Okay, but the point is that there's this constant chipping away, right? And in the day-to-day thing, you don't really see to make much progress. And when you're up close, sometimes you don't really see that there's progress being done. And so when you've told your kids for the 17th time about the importance of, you know, picking up after themselves or cleaning the, or doing the, their responsibilities or being nice to each other or, or wherever the case may be, you think, oh, they're just never learning this. But you look back sometimes. You look back a year ago and you say, okay, what, what were the conversations we were having with our kids? You're like, yeah, the same ones. Okay, true, fair enough. But there should have been, you should be able to see some growth as well in them of what God has been doing over the time. And so it's teach them these words, teach this theology, teach these commandments here that he's given in the, in the previous chapter. It says teach them diligently. It's day after day. And in the, in, in the midst of it, in the grind of it, it's going to feel like you're not making any progress. Now, I'm told this. I, I, I have a partial experience of this, but again, our oldest is only 12. But... Um, it goes by fast. And, you know, I have nieces 
they're 20 years old. I, mean, I, I remember holding them when they were born. You know, my brother's just like, I mean, they're gone. I mean, they're, they're raised and gone. He's like, man, this goes by so fast. Some of you are nodding your head. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about more so than me, that it just seems like yesterday your kids were born, and now they're having kids. Maybe in some of your cases, your kids are having grandkids now. It's like, where did the time go? Where did it go? I told Bob uh, yeah, on Wednesday night, happy anniversary, you know, 59 years, happy anniversary. And, you know, he made a comment like, come by fast. Come by fast. 59 years. That doesn't seem fast. And there was probably seasons where it didn't feel fast, but you look away and, and you see the, the, the end result in the end. This is what we're doing with parenting, okay? Don't grow weary doing well because you will reap if you faint not, is what the scriptures say. So theology matters. It's got to come from a love for God. This is a noble calling that we've got to take seriously, and we have to be very diligent about it. And so what does that look like here? In the last minute or two that I have, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share with you a document that I created a year or two ago. I think it was a couple years ago. And what I did was, is this is in terms of uh, for the teens in our church. This is what I said, and I've gone over it a couple times with the teens. Some of them may remember it, some of them may not. But it's, it's a list of seven things that we want the teens at NBC to know. I printed some copies around the welcome table if you want some uh, to look at it later on. But here's, here's the seven things. And I won't spend a lot of time going through them. But, and again, we could put other things on the list and, and, and stuff. But these are seven things that when kids leave the youth ministry of our, of our church, this is what we want them to know. First and foremost, be sure that you're a Christian. Okay, and so the question comes is, you're a parent uh, to your children. Are we working hard to ensure that our children know the gospel? Is that a forefront goal in our minds that they clearly understand the gospel? Now, we can't save our children, right? We have no power to do that. But we can teach them, and we can give them every opportunity to believe, and we can, uh, we, we can shape their circumstances so that they are, and, and help them answer questions, and help them, uh, uh, you know, come up with when, when faith meets crisis, and, and be there to answer those questions for them, and invite those questions, invite those conversations. Uh, those, are, those are crucial. So be sure that you're a Christian. That's the first thing we said about the teens here. Second is, know that following Jesus is not just right, it is also best. Is following God, is serving God joy or drudgery in your home? Do you incorporate a relationship with God into all of life? You see, following Jesus, you know, we get the sense of going to church or something like that. Well, it's the right thing to do. It's probably not the most fun thing to do, or it's not, you know, but, you know, it's the right thing to do. No, it is the best. It's not just right. It is true, right? But it is best as well. It's the best path that you can follow. And that's the thing that I'm praying my kids latch on to. And again, stories not written in our home yet. Our kids could walk away. I'm painfully aware of that. And we pray, we pray, we pray for them. And we invite you to pray for our kids. And we, I pray for your children. Following Jesus is not just the right thing to do. It is best. Are we modeling that? Fellowship within a church context is non-negotiable for the Christ follower. Are we modeling this? This is particularly true of fathers. Now, the reason why is because studies show over and over again, if a father is committed to attending church, then it is so much higher percentage that the children will. 
But if fathers don't, this is not to minimize mothers at all. God bless mothers who continue to take children to church without the support of their husband. Uh, but the point is, is that it, there's something the way God has designed the family dynamic that there's a powerful presence when fathers prioritize and even lead in bringing the family to church. And I got a glimpse of this for a short time in my life. I've told you before that one of the things I've loved about the, the, the way that God organized my family was that I was able to watch my parents grow in Christ. Uh, they were younger, immature Christians when I was very little. And I got to watch them grow in Christ. And, and it's, it was just a joy to see that. I didn't know all of what I was watching as a child. But as I look back, I see their struggles with sin at times. I see how they cry out to God and they're stumbling and they're falling. But I see the progression and the maturity and one of the things I remember when I was really young, my mom would take us to uh, our Oana program. We had an Oana program at the church where I grew up. And um, my brother and I, uh, my older brother and I, we would go to Oana, and my mom would take us. And, and I didn't really know this at the time, but my mom was trying to grow in Christ, and so she was doing all the verse memorization and everything um, along with us. Um, I didn't know that, but she was saying verses and stuff to leaders and stuff too, which was kind of fun to find out later on in life. But, uh, but the point is, is that uh, my dad would stay home. And he would not come to church. And the church had a service on Wednesday night. This was in the time where we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. As some of you remember those days. And uh, my dad would not go to the, the, the service. And, you know, he had reasons for that or whatever. But there was a time, I remember, where I said, well, I don't, I, I shouldn't go on Wednesday nights. I don't want to go on Wednesday nights. And it was, why not? Well, dad's not going. I don't need to go. Right? And mom was like, no, you're going if you want to live, okay? Okay, I went, okay? All right, so I went, okay? Now, later on, my dad started going and all this stuff. And the point isn't to, we could argue about whether Wednesday night is priority and all that. that. That's not the point. The point is this, is that when my dad didn't prioritize something, but I was expected to prioritize the same thing, I saw a major disconnect and I wanted to, I wanted to walk away. And when my dad started going, I was like, okay, this is what we're doing as a family. This is what we do. It's important to him. It's important to mom. This is what we're doing. And over time, I got to catch this. I got to see them grow in that. And so the point is this, is that it's not negotiable. It should be non-negotiable. And fathers, we particularly share a tremendous responsibility for that. So what are we communicating to our kids as more important than the gathering together as believers? Something to think about. Number four, the way of the sinner is hard. Oh, man. The way of the sinner is hard. And boy, my prayer, my prayer, my prayer is that people learn this without having to experience it. And, and we say, listen, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. But here's the thing. Sometimes we are so worried about protecting our kids from the outside influence, but we ignore the indwelling sin nature in their heart. You see, the way the sinner's hard and, and, and the, it brings terrible consequences. And so my prayer is that the teens of this church and my children and your children, that we understand this before having to experience it all. I need to move on. Number five, the Bible has answers that we need, but it's not an encyclopedia, okay? So, so it, we need to go to the Bible, but it, there's not a verse for every little thing. So we have to know the Bible well enough to take the principles from the scriptures to make wise decisions from that. Do we talk through, do you talk through major decisions with your children and show them how the Bible should inform those decisions? You see, those are things that you can model as parents. Number six, prayer is your first resort option. It's a first resort option. 
We don't pray about things after we've tried everything else. So yesterday, Mia had a, tra- a cross-country meet. We went to that, came back, and Isaiah and I had a couple projects that we were going to do together, and one of them was we were going to fix the van. We had a, a thermostat that went bad on it, and so we were going to fix that together. And so, so we get this, and, you know, it's going perfect. It's going easy. Man, this, oh, this is awesome and everything. And then I dropped a bolt. If you ever worked in cars and you drop the bolt, you're praying that you hear it hit the ground, and it did not hit the ground. So I am looking, we're looking all over, Isaiah's looking at everything, and I'm flashlights and everything, and I'm like, I, oh, man, because, you know, you can't drive it, you know. And I'm like, did I just ruin our van, you know, all this stuff. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm kind of, and so finally, you know, we see it tucked down there. We're able to retrieve it. And it, it, it just did my heart well. And Isaiah was like, Dad, I was praying that you'd find it. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> you know, I was too, buddy. <laughs> you know, I was praying as well, you know, and everything, you know, because I'm getting anxious. I'm getting upset a little bit and everything like this. You know, that's the thing is that we just, prayer is our first resort option, right? Isaiah asked me, he's like, do you have to tear apart the entire engine? Stop talking. No. <laughs> you know, like, no, don't do it. You're going to make it so. No, that's not true. All right. So prayer is the first resort option. Number seven, wherever life takes you, it's crucial to quickly identify as a Christ follower. Wherever life takes you. When you go, I tell the teens, when you go to college, establish right away that you're a Christ follower. Don't hide that stuff. Get involved in church. Tell people testimony because it brings accountability and it also brings that, that you're establishing your identity quickly. So the question is, is, does your personal faith come up in conversations with your children? Do they know how you came to know Christ as your Savior? Have you gone over that story with them? Have you told them that story? You know, those are things that should be coming up. And we should be talking about God with our children. Again, these are seven things that we're praying for the, the teens of our children, but they're also we're praying for our individual children as well. So today in parenting, it's not about methodology and things like that. That's not the point of the sermon. It's three principles that hopefully we can derive some good parenting decisions out of. Theology matters. What we know to be true about God matters. But we have to, it's not just enough to have good theology. We, 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 have, to, we have to love God, and that's to be evident, and that's contagious. And then lastly, we, this is a noble calling that we have to take seriously. Every one of us um, impacting the next generation. Even if you don't have children, You have a responsibility to impact the next generation in some way.